So this is Saucy Rockets episode 17. I am Mary. And I'm Leah. And we are here today with Jeff Boyd. Jeff is a professional broadcaster and did play-by-play for the Buffalo Buttes of the NWHL. He also co-hosts the 716 Sports Podcast, so check that out if you want the 411 on anything related to Buffalo sports. We're excited to have Jeff with us today for several reasons. We enjoy play-by-play, but we've never taken a deep dive into what exactly goes into it. Jeff also goes way back with the Buttes, and we're excited to hear about his experiences. So we thought that the best way to start off would just be to get some background on how you got into play-by-play broadcasting. Yeah, so I got into PWH on the very roundabout way. Um, it's something I've always wanted to do when I was real little from the age of five. I, I would mute my parents' TV and do my own play-by-play in the background of family gatherings. That's so, so but awesome. it was hard to find a way to, uh, to do it. Um, I ended up meeting up with some like some of the guys who worked on the 716 Sports Podcast. They had been asked to do a local basketball team. So I jumped in with them, met them, showed up, did that. This was a couple of months right before the NWHL kicked off in Buffalo. Um, as part of doing basketball with them, I jumped on into the podcast with them. And um, Eric Walschlager, who's done color for the Buttes, was working as one of the first reporters to ever write for the Buttes. And we would get together, me and Eric and Justin, and we would watch Butte's games and we were recording like little intermission shows in Justin's apartment oh, and wow. thinking you know what why don't we try to do something a little more formal so we reached out to uh to Linda who used to run the, the game operations for the Buttes in the first couple of seasons and we said hey we know you guys have a um a broadcast team already in place they had chosen someone before we had even really assembled ourselves as a group and asked if they would be okay with us setting up a table. We were broadcasting ourselves online. So we showed up for the uh, the first All-Star game. The first game we ever did together was the first All-Star game in Buffalo that, that January. We set a table up behind the one goal at ice level, like right behind the glass. So the three of us sat there. We broadcast that game online. We did that for the rest of the first season. Uh, we sent that tape to the league and asked them, to consider having us on for the second season and I, apparently that tape was enough to them uh, we met with some people from the league in the off season, but eventually got the official nod to take over um, at the beginning of season two and it, it kind of stuck ever since that's amazing that you just did it yeah you just transformed wow. what was a hobby into um, becoming the broadcaster for the team that's amazing yeah, you know, we were we put ourselves out there on that link to get a chance to do it, but I'm I'm glad we did, and it was it was hard work for the three of us to to get in there, but it's been very rewarding. So, just backing up in terms of becoming a play by play broadcaster, did you take classes or anything like that, or is it just something that you practiced and you just kind of grew into? Because of your your um, broadcasting at family <laughs> gatherings and such. Yeah, you know, there really wasn't anything formal that was available to me um, in college. I did a lot of 
Um, I was a communications major. I was a television broadcast major, but everything that I could take in college was the other side of the camera. So I learned how to film and record audio, cut video, things like that. I worked, um, I interned with the Buffalo Sabres for a semester in college and with a local uh, cable news station doing, like, cutting highlights. We would make highlight packages for intermissions of Sabres games and things like that. Um, the, the audio side of it was always a hobby because there wasn't anything that was very formal to teach it. Um, it was just... When I could do small things, I would do PA for baseball tournaments at my college or things like that. Wherever there was someone who was willing to let me uh, to talk or give me a microphone, I jumped in there. And I guess some sort of collection of those things, uh, when the time became available that there was a, an actual gig, um, I stepped in and it worked out okay. Wow. So I have to ask kind of a nonsense question. It seems like play-by-play announcing would be hideously stressful. It is. You know, every single game before I start, I get a little jittery. No matter how many times I've done it, I've been doing it for, for four teams for over three years now. And still every single time when the anthem's on, I'm shifting my weight back and forth. I'm just really nervous. But, you know, the, the first couple whistles come and go, and you really get into that routine. But it's definitely the beginning of it, no matter how many times I've done it. Right. I'm, I'm going to forget everything I've ever talked about. <laughs> And just to keep up with the play, because we watch games and sometimes we'll tweet about what's going on. And a lot of times I have to replay what I just saw to make sure that I'm not saying something that is incorrect. (laughs) So doing it on the fly with everyone watching that um, that has to take a certain amount of of talent. (laughs) Well, you know, the, the, the secret is that I miss a lot and I get a lot wrong. But there's so much happening, like you mentioned, people don't often realize, unless it's very glaring, like, obviously, you can't can't miss a goal or get something (laughs) wrong. But if you don't notice who has the puck for an exact moment, there are so many more things happening in a game than I could possibly relay. So I just got to kind of accept the fact that I'm going to miss some things or, you know, the color guy will see something that I didn't see or... At some point, you will get a replay like, oh, I thought that puck was deflected. I I have called goals that were... I said someone tipped it on the way to the goal and it went through cleanly. It's just the reality of it is I, I can be right nine times out of ten, but it's nev- that would be a great game if I was right nine times out of ten. <laughs> so um, how, how exactly did you get into women's professional hockey? You talked about how you got involved with the Buttes, but were you a fan prior to that? No, honestly, not really. I, I had... There wasn't a lot of outlets here in, in Buffalo that women's professional hockey or women's hockey of a high level really existed. My first real experience with it, other than watching some of the Olympic Games uh, prior to that, uh, was the Buttes. And the first time I really sat down and watched women's professional hockey, I, I had heard of the CWHL, but I never really invested myself in it. But I watched a lot of those Buttes games even before we, we jumped in and tried to get involved with the team, and that was my first experience. So the show that you were doing before you became the official broadcasting play-by-play yeah. team, um, what was that like? It was it was great. It was it was a lot of learning for me because I, I was lucky to work with Eric and still do, who is very knowledgeable, one of the the best of the best in in the women's hockey writing world. And I learned a lot from him almost on the fly, and got to you, know, you start with just learning the names and the faces, and then started learning the history and everything like that. Um, the shows themselves were very informal, just more discussions about the pace of play. But I, I also don't view women's hockey and men's hockey as two very different entities. I've watched hockey my life at many different levels, college, junior, pro on both sides. And it's it, at the end of the day, it's just talking about, you know, the game. The game is 
the same. It's awesome to see it played at the highest level, and the Buttes and the NWHL were the highest level that was around that we were able to talk about. We love that answer so much. <laughs> yes, we agree. <laughs> so based on what we've been able to gather, um, you've been doing this on a volunteer basis. Is that right? Th- that is, yeah, that's that's correct. We, we knew that when we stepped in that, you know, for the same reasons that there were all the salary issues with the league, especially in our first full season, uh, there's not a lot of money to go around for, for anyone. And I, yeah, we've been doing this on a volunteer basis for, for the three seasons that we've been officially the, the broadcast voice of the team. So that must take a tremendous amount of time and a lot of passion. Um, like, why do you continue to do it on a volunteer basis, given that it, it probably occupies a lot of time just preparing for your broadcasts and then on game days? Yeah, yeah. Game days can be can be long days, and especially we, we've done some some small travel. We did the All Star Game in Pittsburgh that that first season. We were with the team and, and stuff like that. Um, for for me, and I can't speak for everyone who might be in this position in the league, but for me, it's just I I love doing it. It's a passion for me. Um, there's I enjoy doing it to the point that traveling downtown to do a game and spending five hours of my weekend doesn't bother me. Um, I like to think that someday whether it's with the the women's league or somewhere else that i would someday turn this into a more paid at least part-time job at least that's how i viewed it when i started but i enjoy it to the point i've always told myself that if i wasn't enjoying it i'd stop doing it but i've never gotten to a point that it wasn't worth the time to me uh, to go and do this for, for especially for the team and i enjoyed working with the buttes especially at that high level with the fan base that is there and the players that we've gotten to know, the organization, the, the people there that we've gotten to know, that it doesn't really feel like work to me as much as it's just something I enjoy going and doing 10 times a year. So you had mentioned um, some of the salary issues. Um, and you, so you were there for when the NWHL had to cut the player salaries. Um, what was it like to be there when that happened? That was that. That's one of the days that really sticks out to me in my time with the team. Um, we had a game the Saturday. It could have only been a couple days after that was all uh, officially announced, and it was like walking into like a hospital. It felt like everyone's kind of somber up in the broadcasters' row. Um, I, me, Justin, and Eric all we didn't speak about it maybe out loud, but we all thought that was it. Like we had one last game that month and there was another month after that before there was another schedule with your home game we thought for sure that would be it the players were requesting songs of the dj taking shots at danny rylan and like everyone thought the league was folding for sure hillary knight had gone away and never came back but it, it that was definitely a very somber day and i was very surprised ultimately to see that the league carried on and not not just carried on but got stronger after the fact because i think for sure a lot of us who were involved in the team thought that that was that was it absolutely so since you have been um, around the Buttes for pretty much the entire time they've existed, what changes have you seen during that time, especially when the Pigulas took over control of the team a few years ago? Well, the, the, for, even before the first thing that I noticed was the, the fan base continuing to expand. The first season, it was tough to get people into Harbor Center, which is not a... Not a small building, but it's certainly not a huge building. But by the second, and especially into the third year, you started. I started recognizing people who I would see at every home game, and the crowds continued to grow and to grow. And then the Pagulas taking over, 
really kick that into another gear. And it wasn't as much the on ice product, although that has definitely improved as the Buttes have continued to be a team over those four years. Every year, I think the team on the ice has gotten better and better. But it's even just the professionalism of the broadcast. We went from three guys in one camera, no producers, no highlights, to the three of us plus a producer and four cameras and highlights and a full board to the players having access to the full training facility that exists at Harbor Center. It's the same training facility that the Sabres have. They have access to everything there, the pregame meals, the travel accommodations. I think there's a reason that last offseason, 13 of the first 18 players who signed in the NWHL came to Buffalo. And the reason that a lot of the, the Olympians came back too is because the facilities that were allotted to them as part of the Bagul's arrangement and ownership of the Buffalo Buttes were second to none available to them in the professional hockey world. And what do you see the future of the team being now that the Pigulas have relinquished control of the team back to the league? It's tough now with that because that was the big competitive advantage for Buffalo was, well, look at us. We have private ownership. We have backing. We have these sponsors of the team. And now we're a week into NWHL free agency. And I know there's only been a handful of signings, but no one has signed up to be a member of the new Buffalo Buttes. I think there's so much up in the air with the NWHL as is. We were talking about Canadian expansion that's now been pretty much all but tabled. They were talking about a bunch of things, an expanded schedule. I think it's going to be hard for the league to find 20 players per team like they've had or 15 to 20 players per team like they've had, including practice players over the last few years to fill out five rosters. I think Buffalo is in the same boat. A lot of the, the players, if unless they live in Ontario, and want to commute down here, I'm not sure that they'll be able to acquire the same level of talent. Not acquiring the same level of talent means it's going to be harder to get people to, to buy into the team. I'm not worried about the, the people that have been there since day one. There are people, myself included, who will always go to games and always support the team. But trying to grow the game and trying to expand the game in the area with less funding, less advertising. I mean, there were, last year there was billboards up and down the throughways around here that were advertising to home games, and I don't know where all that funding comes from now either. It's a tough spot for the team. I think they're going to continue to drive it as much as they can, but I think ultimately this is one of those situations where NWHL and Buffalo Buttes' attendance and numbers might get worse before they find a solution if they can continue to push this league through this very tumultuous, ever-changing time in the sport. Right. So that, that actually brings us to like one of our big <clears throat> points is that professional women's hockey is at a crossroads right now, which is really putting it mildly, as you sort of touched on. So as of right now, roughly 200 players have announced they're going to sit out and not play in any North American pro women's league until they get the resources that pro athletes deserve. So there's been a lot of talk about what resources were lacking. And I think, you know, we've talked about it on previous episodes of our show. I mean, you've touched on some of these things now. Um, but something that came up in an interview with Kendall Coyne Schofield about um, the lack of technological support for players. So she was talking about video review and tapes. Um, and then part of her criticism had to do with how the games were presented on Twitter to the public. So um, <clears throat> for people who haven't watched an NWHL game um, for whatever reason, could you give us a rundown of how the games were presented? At least on the yes. end? Yeah. There's a an embedded video on Twitter that was shared by the league. It was run through Twitter Sports, um, basically just an average broadcast of a hockey game. It was shot. I speaking for the games in Buffalo and then the games in Pittsburgh that I did. Uh, typically, it's probably a two to three camera setup. There's myself and one or two color commentators. 
doing the games for the All-Star game. We were lucky enough to have like Anya Badaglino and Tatiana Raptor on the benches. Um, often did not have the technology available to have like a between-the-benches person. Um, we had as many highlights as possible, but no commercial breaks, only one stoppage during every period. The games went by pretty quickly. Um, we would often get player interviews um, between the intermissions. Other than that, the intermissions were pretty much just a countdown until the period came back. Um, I think we did everything that we could do with the available technology and funding that the league broadcast had. There's nothing that was really missing, but I can get where Kendall, Kendall's saying, you know, we didn't have, like, cut-up player-specific footage. I would say for the most part, that's probably very true. Right. Um, unless there was someone going in and doing that after the fact. Because yeah. what was available to them was likely just the broadcast feed, which is focused on the general game, sometimes limited highlights, depending on how quickly we could get those cut up and immediately right. inserted into the breaks. Well, I think something that Leah and I have talked about before is that when you're trying to grow support for the, for the women's game, you know, hockey fans are kind of used to your NHL broadcasts which has right. a lot of, like, player interviews on the ice stuff, you know, replays pretty quickly. Um, and that's not really something that the NWHL or the CWHL, you know, could or did provide. So I can I can kind of see why that would be a hurdle for getting new fans and if they expect a certain type of product from a professional hockey game, and then they, they're not getting that. They're not getting what they expect. And maybe not even understanding that the people who are doing it are doing it on a volunteer right. basis. Right, right. Um, or, like, or any other limitations that are in place. Like, obviously, you know, the women's leagues don't have the funding that the NHL does. They don't have, you know, access to TV broadcast. Um, so I think that that's been one of the things that we've talked a lot about as to how the leagues might kind of overcome that. And I don't know if I want to say adjust people's expectations, but kind of bridge that gap somehow. Right. And it's all trying to find as many things we could do to kind of expand the what we could do with the game and we would try we like whether we were shooting like a little bit of a pregame show we tried to like make videos um we would in our own time uh would make some sort of like breakdown videos like you would see where it's like oh here's a play that happened last week here's the x's and o's of it and then we would run into hurdles about trying to get that into the broadcasts um so a lot of it ended up really being done the things that you saw on twitter were done by us on fly except for the um the interviews that were usually taped before the warm-up. So Eric would usually do this. He would get there probably an hour before even go meet the players before the warm-ups. And the players would do their warm-ups. We would cut those up and insert them in one per intermission or we'd get the coaches or anything like that. But us and the PR and everyone involved in the production kind of playing playing it by ear and getting as much assembled in, in there as, as possible for the games. Okay. So who, who provided the equipment you guys did have? Was that from the league, or is that something that team ownership had to come up with, or did, did you guys or other folks kind of like just bring it with you to try to, to, try to improve the product? The first couple of equipment that was used for broadcast was our equipment. We own like a mixer and a bunch of microphones and stuff. It's doing the podcast. We would bring that stuff with us to the arena, set it up to the camera system and everything like that. Um, when Pagula Sports and Entertainment took over the team, all the equipment that we used, as far as I'm aware, was owned by Pagula Sports and Entertainment. Uh, the cameras, the audio equipment, the headsets we would use, uh, everything was provided to us by the Buffalo Beats. Okay. Um, so kind of, I guess if you could walk us through um, a game day when you were getting ready to do a podcast. So what went into preparing to do that? And then, you know, how much time did it take from start to finish? Yeah, so... 
would get to, I would probably get to the arena about an hour to an hour and a half before the game, physically in person. Uh, we had a media guide, which we provided by the team, which was nice. Um, a game would involve me getting there, picking up the lineups, and looking at combinations, matchups, things that we've seen, uh, players to look out for. I've worked down there discussing what we want to talk about 50 minutes before we're, there's a microphone in front of our faces at the very least. And then we're breaking down, okay, we got five minutes of pregame. What are we going to talk about? What happened last game? Who's got, got to write down the numbers? We were physically capturing, picking players that we wanted to spotlight, asking the camera crew to film those players specifically for the games, getting all that cut up, often pre-recording a uh, the intro so they could run that during the anthem. We would run that. Eric would be down there interviewing players physically. I would be up talking to the camera crew and everything set up, physically setting up a lot of the equipment ourselves. And then we would go right into the game. Um, during intermissions, we would run the interviews. Um, I would go talk to the team, usually just get, get some more water, keep myself hydrated. Mm-hmm. After the games, it's going to down to the locker rooms, interviewing the players, getting everything run up. And then a lot of what actually happens during the game itself tends to be more of a blur. It's just so much happening. Like you mentioned, there's always something happening to talk about. Um, but it's probably all told, it's, it's, it's five hours. Three of that is the hockey game, 90 minutes before to set up, talk about what we want to talk about, getting ourselves reacquainted with what's happened since the last time the Buttes were on home ice because it's very common that there's a month or so break a couple times in the season where there's not a home game and we're watching the Twitter broadcast, but that's so much different than physically being in the building with the team. And then it's half an hour after the game to recap, talk about, get everything, make sure the Twitter broadcast was okay. I'm usually on Twitter physically myself responding to, to questions and fans who have you know any anything they want to have us talk about during the game. So we try to get as much of the interactive stuff in there as well from the intermissions. But all, all told, probably four and a half to five hours for an average game day. I mean, that's I just I just kind of want to like reiterate how much work that is. Like it's you know only four or five hours, and it's something you enjoy, which helps. But it's that is an insane amount of work that you are doing for free. Like yeah, that's and, and, that's a lot of love for the game, <laughs> right there. Like. <laughs> Well, it's 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 a it's a love love relationship with, between us and the team, and we we love doing it for the team. I've always felt very appreciated by the Buffalo Buttes and, and their players and and the league for at least for the most part to to be able to do what I do. And it's crazy to think that for especially for like the playoff games, we're starting to get into like hundreds of thousands of Twitter views on the videos. Right. It's crazy to me to think that I get to be the voice for that like we've been lucky to be the voice for for harrison brown's first professional goal since he revealed you know his identity publicly to the fans and to do the playoff games and travel to all-star games and all of that and being part of the team and being part of the, the history of it makes the five hours on a saturday worth it to me as much as i would like to be you know sit doing this interview from from my hot tub in LA. <laughs> Wouldn't we all? <laughs> That's where we are right now. We're in our <laughs> LA hot tub. <laughs> but, you know, there, there's other ways. It's, it's still rewarding to me, even if there's right. not a, a financial aspect to it. So was there a backup plan then for if you or the others weren't available or couldn't make it, since you're all just doing this on a volunteer basis? 
Um, there have been times that my two color commentators have not been available. Thankfully, I don't think there's ever been a game where both of them haven't been available. I honestly don't know what the backup plan was for me. Um, I have called <laughs> some games pretty sick and with no wow. voice and just kind of soldiered through them. Um, I'm sure that there is someone in Buffalo who is would would have gotten called if I had given them a lot of notice, but I have no idea what that plan would be. <laughs> Um, so a little bit speculative question. Um, are there things you wish you could have done, but couldn't because of lack of resources? So, I mean, I wish we get more game and more interviews with the players. I wish that there were more ways to, I, I love having, we had for a couple of games, someone down on the ice in like between the benches. I wish we could have done more than that. More of that. I wish there was more highlights we could get into the game. Um, like you mentioned, everyone's everyone wants that NBC level broadcast. Right. And as much as the players want it, we want it too. I want to provide to the league that kind of overarching high level broadcast too. Um, I think it's as simple as having more cameras and more ability to create kind of those highlight packages. I wish we had more highlight packages and stuff too, because so much cool stuff happens in an NWHL game. And if you're not watching it, I worry sometimes that that stuff gets lost. It's on the full video, as you can find it on YouTube or Periscope. But there's not currently a resource that exists that I'm that I see used frequently that those goals are you know cut up in high quality and posted around. Like Alex Ovechkin scores a sweet goal, I see it a hundred times. I watch it; it's high quality. It's oh. great. Everyone loves it. Oh yeah, the gif the gif is up within you know thirty seconds of the goal happening. Exactly. But for the NWHL, you might get one. There's there are some good Twitter accounts that do cut up as much of this as possible, but they're working off of our limited resources with their limited resources and. I think that I wish more than anything we could capture some of those magic moments and have created more highlights for the players to draw attention to themselves for right. to draw attention to itself. So on a more technological level, um, so you mentioned that there were about two or three cameras for the game. Um, would you, was it a matter of not having enough cameras? I mean, would that have made a difference in terms of the, the uh, presentation quality? Uh, maybe to a small level. I, the buildings are also smaller, too, so it's not like a professional arena where you have as many places to stick cameras. Um, it's It would have made a little bit of a difference if you had someone, no, more people there to run them and the ability to have people there switching between them. I was, I was lucky enough to work for the Sabres in college and saw how many people are involved just in the broadcast room or on the broadcast truck with that production of one hockey game, an NHL hockey game. And it would require so many more people and funding and resources to make an impact. I don't. I think adding a fourth camera versus a third camera would have a very minimal impact. It's just being able to bankroll it and being able to produce it with the technology that's available across the street at Key Bank Center where the Sabres are. So, um, compa- oh, I'm sorry. Um, com- but- comparing your experience with the Sabres to... Um, the Buttes. I mean, how many how many people does it take to actually get an NHL level broadcast? Because yeah, I don't think we usually get to see that sort of behind the scenes stuff. So I'm trying to think exactly how many it is. It was roughly twenty to thirty people. Easy. Um, there were four of us who were interns in the one room, and there was probably another five to ten people at any given time in the the main video room next to where we are on the 100 level of the key bank center there's another 
five to eight people that are upstairs where they shoot the intermission show. So there's three talent plus three cameras plus their producer. And then there's a production truck outside. That's another five to ten people who are out there you know, rolling everything out for, for the MSG broadcast, for the television broadcast and all of that. So at any given time, there's probably 25 to 30 people who are physically involved, if not more than that, hidden and doing cameras elsewhere in the building, too, that create the product that you see on NBC Sports for the Stanley Cup. And that's compared to there's probably eight to ten of us who are doing it across the street. So I think we do pretty well for what we have, but there's only so much that we can do to replicate having one-third of the the overall workforce that would go into your average NBC hockey broadcast. That's insane. (laughs) Like, I never would have guessed it was that many people just on the broadcast stuff. Oh, yeah, there's, there's people who are monitoring every little thing, switching all the cameras, queuing the next camera they want to go to. Everyone's talking. It's it's incredible. I, I haven't seen it in a little bit because I've been graduated college six years ago, and that was crazy to think about. But it just there is so much that goes on behind the scenes. And some of those people who get involved, you would never think of what they do. You would never see them. They're never anywhere on the screen. Hello? Hey, sorry. Our Skype connection just uh, decided to kill itself for some reason. That's uh, okay. Um, so, um, yeah, sorry for the, um, disruption. <laughs> um, no, it's okay. I know yeah, we're, we're, working with, media crew. No we're working with a media crew of two. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, w- one thing that I'm curious about is, um, your experiences as compared to teams for other NWHL, um, teams. Um, so, is it about the same setup, or or do you think that you all had more of an advantage by virtue of being associated with a team that had so much support from um, the owners of an NHL team? I think we in Buffalo definitely had an advantage that some of the other broadcasts did not have. And I haven't been to uh, Connecticut or Metro or Boston for broadcasts. I've been honored to work with some of those broadcasters when they've come to Buffalo or come to Pittsburgh for some of the games. But I think definitely the last year and a half when PSC was in charge of things, there were definitely advantages that we had that the other broadcasts would not have had. So do you keep in touch with the the crews for the other teams? Um, do you all chat about your experiences or collaborate in any way? Uh, we, we definitely all know each other. Um, we Twitter message sometimes. Um, I As far as knowing exactly what it's like over there i don't um but yeah we definitely if if i'm broadcasting a game and i mispronounce someone's name i'll get a twitter dm from matt who does the play-by-play for the riveters like just by the way letting you know that it's pronounced like this while i'm live on air so it's it's definitely a collaborative (laughs) team atmosphere that exists between all of us um i think the way that i feel about getting to work for the league and is the same way that a lot of people feel about getting to work for the league and whether it's been working with with matt or with erica or marissa who did play-by-play for Boston for a couple of years. Um, it's an awesome community community of, of broadcasters that exists in the league. Um, and regardless of whatever technological hurdles they may be facing or we may be facing, it still smiles on, broadcast ready to go, and they everyone in the league has done such an awesome job of presenting the best game that they can. They really have. I mean, you know, Aside from the fact that it's, you know, clearly not as resourced as what you would see for an NHL broadcast, what you all have been able to do on a volunteer basis is is amazing. Um, one one question that we had, sorry, we have dogs here. <laughs> they're making some noise because they're hungry. Um, so one question that we had about 
um, like kind of back to your experiences in, in play-by-play, um, you know, aside from a game day, what, what do you have to do to prepare b- before that even happens? I mean, for me, it's, a, it's just a lot of making sure I'm on top of every topic for the week. So, for example, if we're talking about the NWHL, on a pretty common basis, I, daily or something like that, I'm just going through my Twitter, my social media, and making sure that I've read every update. I, I watch as many highlights or as many out-of-town games as I can, whether or not the Buttes are involved. It's just trying to make sure that I keep that constant knowledge about me. It's not as It's more of a passive than an active on non-game days for me, but I'm still... Even now, while we're waiting to see what the league is going to be next year, today I still went through and read the details uh, about the interview that Kaylee Fratkin had about why she thinks she wants to stay in the NWHL or I'm reading about the new contract signings or the NWHLPA stuff. Because whether or not I think I'm picking all that up, it might be five seconds of one broadcast in October, but if I can pull out one little factoid that talks about a player and what they said during the offseason then it was all worth getting ready for that. And that was five more seconds that I didn't have to stare awkwardly into a microphone and wait for someone else to rescue me because the <laughs> microphone is going no matter whether or not I'm ready for it or not. <laughs> going to be so yeah, non-game days is just you know making sure that I'm aware of what's happening. And that's never a perfect process, but it's just trying to be as informed about the teams and the players and the happenings as possible. One thing that we would love to hear about is just your experience in terms of being around the team and you know what your most memorable moments have been so far so the first game we got to do was the uh, the all-star game the first year and that's one of the things that always sticks out to me is how much just fun the players have with each other and it's not just the players in the buttes having a great camaraderie which they do definitely but all the teams, all the players together in that space, it was at every opportunity. Um, there's just such a sense of community in the, in the league and with the players. And that's why you're seeing so many of them stand united together now across league and team and country bounds, these 200-plus women who are standing up for better working conditions, better pay to play the sport they love. It's because at the end of the day, all these women, regardless of team affiliation, are just the atmosphere of hockey that exists in the league has always been great. And the team has always been very fun to be around. Uh, we were lucky to be blessed with the, the goaltending trio of McLevin for a couple of years. We got to work with them on a video project that we did for some intermissions. They, their antics and everything were, were just incredible. Um, and as far as memorable moments, um, the first All-Star game always stands out to me. The Harrison Brown goal in his first game that second season uh, which was the first home game that we got to do officially as a broadcast team, which is crazy to me, um, was awesome. That building went bananas. Um, getting to call the Buffalo-Boston overtime semifinal game in the third season that sent the Beast of the Isabel Cup, Sarah Casorso scores out of the penalty box from inside the blue line, always stands out to me. And then I I wasn't there, but I remember where I was watching the uh, the Isabel Cup the year that they won in 2017. Sitting and watching Bram McLaughlin stand on her head, standing and watching the the team that no one thought had a chance to beat this juggernaut Boston team that was just unbeatable. And as a Buffalo kid watching a Buffalo team beat a Boston team felt very <laughs> sad. It felt Seven. right. <laughs> it, it, it really just reset the balance in the universe for me a little bit. But you know, I, I I remember just sitting there when the, the clock hits triple zeros and just rem- being proud and still that I I still remember that feeling it's still there just how proud i am to be that that was my team 
and the players achieved that. With they would have, they would have achieved it with or without me, but just being a part of it, being part of that that magical run, always stands out to me. And um, you had mentioned the Harrison Brown goal. So, um, what what um, do you have any other goals that you think are memorable or stand out to you? That one stands out a lot. Uh, the Casorso overtime goal against Boston in year three stands out a lot. Um, the Blake Bolden goal at KeyBank Center this year when they played the White Caps on the NHL rink. Uh, that one stands out a lot to me because we got to go call a game in an NHL rink, which is still insane to me to think that we, we got to do that. Um, those three are huge ones to me. Um, that, and I mean, some of the other ones that stand out are the All-Star Game goals, the year that they uh, they had the one girl come out on the ice for the shootout drill and had her score a goal stands out because you're right behind that net that we scored on the first year and everyone goes crazy for her. Um, outside of that, not too many individual goals that stand out. There's more more games than individual goals, right. um, but I would say those are the, the highlight ones that stand out to me. Is there anything that you observe as a broadcaster that you think would surprise people who are just casual spectators or just kind of watching as fans? The speed of which the game happens is always just mind-blowing to me. You think that you're watching a game at home, and I used to think I was pretty knowledgeable about the sport when you're just like sitting on your couch watching your team play, like, oh, I'm an informed fan, they're doing this. There is so much happening on the ice at any given time. If you want to go to a game and see what I mean, just see where the puck is and look as far away from the puck as someone as possible and watch how much is happening on the ice surface at any given time that you are not aware of. It's communication on the bench between the players and the coaches, back and forth between the benches if it's that kind of game, watching the officials set themselves up. You're watching the goaltender at the other end ready her equipment, get ready for the play. You're watching a player who's the 10th player up the ice trail the play, trying to figure stuff out. The amount of stuff that is happening on that small surface at any given time I will never get used to how to see all of it at any given time. Um, the action is where the puck is. 80% of it and 20% of it is happening outside of your range of vision. So from your vantage point, um, could do you think that you could hear things that were happening on the ice better than a fan could? Um, because, you know, there are all those moments where you, you know, there, there are like viral moments where things are like mic'd up and you can kind of hear what's happening. Um, did you ever observe anything like that? Uh, honestly, we were we were farther away. We were actually above all the fans in Harbor Center, so I did not get a chance to see or really hear anything better than uh, than the, uh, the the fans did. We did have a couple of games where we had a uh, um, for the All Star game. We had my, uh, players interviewing other players on the benches. So we got to hear a little bit more of that that time around, uh, but really not a lot more than that we could hear than fans would hear. And. Um... What type of access to the players did you have? Did you get to know any of them well or build relationships with any of them? We didn't get to know a lot very well. Um, we do still have some contact, especially with a lot of the original Buttes players, um, even ones who are not still here. Um, we, as a as an entity, have gotten to know Sarah Casorso pretty well. She did an interview with, with my buddy Eric about her job. Now she works as a brewer in Ontario and what that was like being uh, making beer and playing hockey. Or Hale Williams, who was a Butte for a few years and played for uh, the Toronto Furies and the CWHL, still keeps in touch with us about some hockey camps and stuff that she's doing. Um in a lot of ways, we were passing each other by, but as far as access to the players, we got to pick who we interviewed before the games, pretty much no questions asked, and we did have a hand in selecting who were the stars of the game and who was available to the media after the game. 
Um, we didn't get much more access than your average media member would be, um, but we did definitely get a say in who was around the cameras and who we got to ask questions of. Did you all ever go to practices and, and cover those, or did you ever do that as part of your preparation? Uh, we did get to a couple of the development camps. Um, they had some practices at a rink um, in a in the uh, suburbs of Buffalo that we were at the one year. There was a tryout camp a couple of years that we went to. Um, most of the practice times while they were available weren't necessarily public. So we didn't end up going to too many of those, although I don't think they would have kicked us out. <laughs> um, there wasn't a ton of practice time either. The Part, part of the, the struggle for the Buttes, especially the first couple of years, is that there are not a lot of players on the team that are native to Western New York. So practice times for the full team were very limited to... You know, just when everyone could get down from Southern Ontario, there's a lot of Ontario-based players on the team. Uh, so there weren't even a ton of practices, really, that we could get to. And unfortunately, with all of us still having you know, the full-time 9-to-5s or whatever our jobs we had, limited how much we could be around that side of it. It seems like that is an issue for everyone associated with professional women's hockey these days. Um, um, so if the, if the Buttes are back, are you going to be back in the broadcast booth? For this season, if if the team wants to have me back, I was, I I do this forever. I do this for fifty years for the for the team and for the league. Um, I hope that they're back because it would feel like a part of my fall is missing if they're not there. Um, I hope that whether it's this fall with the Buttes or sometime in the future, depending on what happens with the for the game movement, that there is a pro women's team in Buffalo. Whether it's with involving the Pagulas, whether it's the Buffalo Buttes, whatever it's going to be. But yeah, I would be I would be happy to be and hope that they'd be happy to have me back. All right. Well, I think that's all we had. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. This has been just fascinating. Oh, good. Of course, guys. Happy to do it. And anytime you guys want to talk women's hockey, I'm happy to do it. Awesome. Absolutely. We will uh, definitely keep your contact information and we're always looking for more folks to blab at hockey about. Sounds good. Thanks. All right. Thank you so much. Of course. Bye.